For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Nora. All right, let's pray together as we look to God's Word. Father, be with us. Be with me now. Help me, Lord, to, to faithfully share what you have revealed to us in the book of Proverbs as it relates to correction. God, it's such a hard thing both to give and to receive correction, and yet we pray that you would help us, God, by the power of your Spirit even today to grow in this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, very few things uh, create fear and anxiety within us, quite like having a hard conversation. Uh, when we have to sort of muster up the courage to address someone else's foolishness or sin or worse, uh, to hear someone else address our foolishness or sin. Uh, I'm sure we can all look back on a time when our hearts were racing, our palms we're sweating as we waited for this conversation that we had been rehearsing in our minds over and over again as we oscillate back and forth between self-reflection and self-justification, between hearing this friend out and telling this friend off, right? But why are these conversations so hard for us? And could it be that there is far more of a spiritual opportunity in these conversations uh, than most of us would ever think? Last week, we considered God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs for our words in general. Today, we're going to zoom in a bit and consider God's wisdom for one specific kind of words that we could use, a category of speech that would be correction. And as we consider all that this book has to say on correction, I trust this morning we will see more than anything that no one is above either giving or receiving correction. And, and in fact, it's very important even that we do both. The sermon is going to be divided into two pretty simple, straightforward sections First, we're going to see it is always wise to receive correction, and then we will see it is often wise to give correction. And so in first, part one, uh, it is always wise to receive correction. Now, by this, I do not mean that we have to agree with or embrace necessarily every correction we receive, but as a general rule, we should have a posture of openness that always welcomes correction. Even, frankly, if, as, as it may be sometimes, the, the correction of another person is misguided or unhelpful in some way, in one way or another, there is almost always something good for us in a word of correction from another person. Now, I have to say, of all the topics that we will be covering in this series, I've done pre-work on most of them at this point, and I have been particularly struck by the litany of Proverbs that basically say this very same thing. Our point here, wise people receive correction, period. 
Proverbs never really hedges on that or backtracks. Well, in this case, you probably shouldn't have to even really think. No. As a general rule, wise people are open to correction and foolish people almost always avoid it. There is a cluster of words in the book of Proverbs that basically mean either the same thing as correction or something very close to it. These words would include, for instance, discipline, rebuke, reproof, admonishment, instruction, advice, counsel. All of these words have correction in view at the very least. We're basically talking about receiving guidance from another person about something we've either done wrong or a particular area of our life where we lack wisdom. So here are just a few examples of these. I have just four of them, and there, frankly, there are quite a few more than just this. But Proverbs 10, 17 says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. It's an important word to anyone in a position of spiritual leadership. Uh, the kind of leaders we should follow. Don't follow someone who constantly and only resists correction. They will lead you astray. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. I mean, wow, right? <laughs> it's like, that's about as clear as it gets. Tell us how you really feel, King Solomon, right? Proverbs 13.18 Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. There's a glory even in heeding reproof, right? And then if there's one proverb that I would stake this whole sermon on, it's this one, Proverbs 27, 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? We, we should be thankful for these, even though they're wounds, right? We should be thankful for them. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We, we really shouldn't care about those, e even though they're kisses, even though they're a kind of, of praise. See, it's tempting to assume that the more someone loves us, the less likely they will be to correct us, or even that the people who love us the most are the ones who praise us the most. Neither of those things is, is necessarily true. The, the truth is, if someone really loves you, they will be willing to correct you. And, and frankly, if they're not willing to correct you, the truth is they probably really don't love you all that much. If I could pray for only three or four things in the life of our church, I want you to know this would be one of the things I pray for, that everyone in our church would have a soft, humble heart that is willing to receive correction. That right there, I imagine, has to be about half the battle to, to loving one another well and having a healthy church. And the opposite is true. Our church, I'm convinced, will never be healthy or stay healthy if we never correct one another. These days, even in churches often, many people just assume that it is unloving to correct. Uh, we often think, well, who are you to tell me that I should be at church more often? Uh, right? Who are you to, to question or, or say that my spiritual belief is off base in a particular area? Who are you to ask me questions about sensitive things that are going on in my life, right? But 
But according to Proverbs, these sound a lot like the knee-jerk reactions of a fool. It's really interesting. Jesus never casted a vision for some slick or impressive discipleship program. The closest thing he gets to basically telling churches what to do is actually his instruction in Matthew 18 on church discipline. This is basically Jesus' discipleship strategy, or the closest we have to it. Notice it's not a class. It's not a certain curriculum. It's not some group multiplication scheme. Instead, he puts sinful people together into a spiritual covenant family. He gives them immeasurable grace and mercy, and then he instructs them how to correct one another. This is his strategy. He says, if your brother sins against you, go to him and address it in private. If they do not listen, if they resist that correction, bring someone else along with them. If they don't listen to them, tell it even to the whole church. And then at that point, if, if the not listening, if the resistance persists all the way through, then to treat them as though they are outside of that covenant family. Notice within this strategy, each step of the way, the mark of spiritual maturity and wisdom is first that we do actually address someone else's sin and that they listen. This is the great crown jewel of the process. This is the great goal. Jesus even says, if we go to them in private and they listen, he says, quote, you have gained your brother. Praise God. The family's intact, right? Jesus' entire discipleship strategy for his spiritual family revolves around brothers and sisters both giving and receiving correction. It's easy to think, oh, that sounds dangerous, this whole church discipline thing. We should avoid that. And usually we have in mind the end where we remove someone from membership. But the truth is actually, no, unrepentance is dangerous. Uh, always resisting correction is dangerous. And if we never correct one another, church, we will be all the more susceptible to it. And so when is the last time someone corrected you and you actually took it to heart? And in general, how often does that tend to happen when you are corrected? In the same way, when was the last time someone tried to correct you and you resisted everything they had to say? And again, how often does this happen in our lives? See, as Christians, we have to understand the gospel that we profess faith in is the most extensive cosmic correction that a person could ever possibly receive. In the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, God himself has said, this is what all of you deserved. That is a serious correction. And to follow Jesus, therefore, in any real sense, requires us even to accept that correction by, as Jesus says, taking up our cross, which is, it requires us to admit we deserve it. We have to accept the correction. And here's the greatest part of all. It is precisely in that experience when God meets us, when he gives us his grace and his mercy, his love, it is in this equation that he sets us free from all of our foolishness and sin. And so Christians of all people need to have a deep and abiding sense that we are in need of correction. And frankly, until we have that sense, until we let our faith in Christ compel us to receive the correction of others, 
we will never be able to do this second part of the sermon particularly well, which is part two. It is often wise to give correction. Now notice that the first point was an always, okay? Uh, This point here is an often, and that's very intentional. Without a doubt, there are instances when it is wise to avoid giving correction. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Proverbs 19, 11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense, presumably right rather than addressing it. So this does require some discernment. But first, it is just worth pointing out, in general, giving correction is commended to us as a wise, good, and necessary thing, far more so in the Proverbs than we are encouraged not to do it. Far more so. Proverbs 28, 23 is a great example. It says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Some of us, I'm convinced, uh, may not have a category for correcting a brother or sister in Christ. We easily think, no, 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 that, that, that's, that's too much. I'm not into that. Who am I to do that sort of thing, right? And that, I'm convinced, based on what we see in Proverbs, is not a mark of wisdom. In fact, I'm afraid, if anything, it may be a mark of foolishness. I would venture to say, uh, if you've been a member of our church for, I don't know, maybe a year or two, and you have never had to lovingly correct another member, you may be doing it wrong. (laughs) You may be doing it wrong. Uh, You may be just disengaged altogether, keeping people at arm's length, not really taking your commitment to follow Jesus with them very seriously. You may just be overlooking too many things in a way that is, is not wise, But correcting one another is an essential aspect of truly following Jesus together. But there are admittedly many reasons to be confused, right, Uh, about when to correct someone or how to correct someone. And so all within this second point here on giving correction, next I want to consider when to avoid giving it and then how to give it wisely, okay? First, when to avoid it. We should avoid giving correction if the person in need of correction is a fool. That is pretty consistent throughout the Proverbs. Uh, The truth is some people who are in need of the most correction should probably not be corrected because based on their character and the demonstration of, of their moral life, it seems very clear if we do correct them, they will not receive it. In fact, throughout the Proverbs, there's a name for a kind of person like this. The the Proverbs refer to this person as a scoffer. Uh, So when you think of a scoffer, think of just that haughty person who always knows best, never wants to listen to others. Anytime someone tries to correct or guide them, they just resist it at all costs. That's a scoffer. Think of the sort of teenage girl talking to her mom, like, whatever, mom, like, you have no idea, right? It's just always the instinct. Mom never knows anything, okay? This is a scoffer. Proverbs 9, 8. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. In other words, if it seems likely that a person will resist our correction at all costs, maybe even end the relationship as a result of it, we probably should think twice before correcting them. Probably wise instead 
to overlook whatever the offense is and readjust our expectations for the relationship. Now, I do want to be really careful here because this could be an easy escape hatch. Uh, This does not mean, it is not true that if someone will be offended, we should never correct them. It's not that simple. Sometimes it's good and necessary to risk offending someone in order to correct or instruct them. But the real question is this, can this person push through the offense of this correction? And if so, how likely is it that on the other end of that offense, my correction will be respected and lead to actual spiritual growth, right? We, we need to discern what kind of correction a person can handle, to what extent they will listen and respond in healthy ways long before we decide when or how to correct them. Uh, which does mean, by the way, sometimes we will want to give correction that we should not give. In Proverbs 20, or sorry, 12, 23 says, a prudent man conceals knowledge. Let's think about that. In other words, they can see something that's true, maybe something that's wrong in the world, something that certainly could be addressed, and they don't don't have to. They can conceal that knowledge. Meanwhile, the heart of fools, it just proclaims folly. It, It can't help but to say everything that they see that is wrong. They have to correct everyone. We need the knowledge to know when to conceal knowledge. In general, the more likely someone is to receive our correction, the more eager we should be to give it, and the more likely they are to all out reject our correction, frankly, the less important it even is that we try. Because clearly, there is a deeper heart work that must take place first before our correction can be helpful. So just a a bit, bit of a pro tip here, right? But Let's be the kind of people that others know they can correct and, and have it go fairly well. This is a great goal for us in our own Christian maturity. And I do want to be clear about one thing before we move on here. Uh, we are not free to deem another member of our church a fool and then therefore justify not correcting them. Right? As a member of redemption, all of us have stood up in front of the church and committed to this. this. is from our church covenant. It says that in humility and gentleness, we will confront one another's sin and submit ourselves to the discipline of the church according to Christ's teaching in Matthew 18, which we just talked about. We're going to recommit to that even later tonight when we get together for our members gathering. So how we correct a member may look different based on a few factors, our our relationship with that person or maybe even the spiritual maturity of that person. Absolutely. But all of us are in a binding spiritual covenant in which we've all committed to this kind of correction, both giving and receiving it. But as a general rule, best to avoid correcting a fool. And next, we should also avoid correcting someone if anger is what is motivating or driving us to correct them. See, often the correction we have to give is personal to us in some way. Uh, We've been hurt, right? And for that reason, there are many temptations for our anger to drive us toward foolishness Uh, rather than trying to restore a relationship or see a spiritual fruit in someone else's life. We may correct someone harshly, and we may focus instead on sort of settling the score rather than on healing and, and doing them good. Proverbs 12, 16 puts it this way. The vexation, which is basically just the angry ranting of a fool, 
is known at once. Right? Fools are they're always angry. They're always correcting people in their anger. But the prudent ignores an insult. So here's the thing. To be honest, it's, it's just really hard to correct someone with wisdom when you're really, really mad at them. It's, it's really hard to do. If our anger is driving us to correct rather than a desire for their good, we should probably instead just wait before correcting them. Uh, work through our own sin and spiritual anger. But by the way, I will say this is why, as a general rule, it's also wise to try and avoid and resist anger when we feel it. We should not run towards it, but away from it. It's not just because anger is naughty. It's because anger is deceptive. It leads us down the wrong paths. It's confusing. Anger and foolishness often are very close friends. So if we're constantly venting and giving in to our anger, then it should not surprise us when we are terrible at correcting others. With this in mind, if you ever find yourself in a place of just really needing to give correction while you're angry, uh, first, do your best, I think, again, to search your own heart to try and find a good and redemptive purpose for giving that correction. But one other thing you could do also is to write out what you want to say. Sometimes words matter enough where it's worth doing that. Write out what you want to say. Uh, Share it with a trusted friend who is ideally not in close relationship with the person you're correcting. And then give them full permission to guide you in what you actually say. Full permission. Ask them, listen, be really honest with me, okay? If this is harsh in unnecessary, unhelpful ways, this is why I need you to do this. Please help me. And then listen. Listen to their correction. I've done this multiple times. And I have to say each time, what I wound up saying was very different than what I would have said had I not invited that kind of correction in my own life. As a general rule, let's try to keep anger and correction as far apart from one another as we possibly can. And if that's just not possible, may instead be wise to just avoid the correction. And lastly, we should also avoid correction if our correction turns into quarreling. Quarreling. Uh, Quarreling is is a kind of foolishness that comes up over and over again throughout the Proverbs. It's basically an intense, excessive, and very unproductive kind of argument. You might also call it bickering. Uh, This typically happens when two people are defensive and trying to justify themselves. Uh, But if and when our attempts to correct someone turn into quarreling, we should stop the conversation Thank them for letting us voice our concern and be done. Be done. And the reason for this is, on one hand, just quarreling is just never productive. But on the other hand, once it starts, it's actually very hard to stop. It's basically this downward spiral of foolishness that never does anything good. Proverbs 27, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarreling breaks out, it says. Right? I, there's one time when we moved, I remember I tried to be a plumber. It was a bad idea. 
I got, I got like a big like wrench thing and it looked great and cool. And I was trying to like just fix, tighten this water. I don't even remember what I was doing, but I just, I twisted it the wrong way and just water started busting out of that pipe. And right away, right, if, if I would have just said, oh, okay, I'm just really calmly going to just keep working with this wrench, right? I'd be a fool, right? And why? It's because once that water starts breaking out, it's not just going to stop on its own, right? I need to go. I need to cut off the water to the house. And this is the same idea, is that if we jump in and quarreling breaks out, oh, boy, here we go. You better drop what you're doing and cut off the water to the house because this is not going to end well. You're going to flood the thing. So when we try to correct someone, we should probably have an exit strategy in mind, right? If they get defensive and start to quarrel, listen, no worries. Thank you. Sorry for that. Maybe I'm off here, but thanks for letting me share that. I appreciate it. On to the next conversation. Pray. Uh, this may make a lot of sense, I'm sure, when it comes to friendships or church relationships. That's great. But it is also true in our marriages. Husbands, uh, we are called to live in an understanding way with our wives, not constantly lashing out at them, biting at them, coming down on them about each thing. Uh, wives, Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful wife. Right? So we should never justify quarrelsomeness in the interest of correcting someone in order to justify correcting them. That, that's not a wise way to do it. In fact, if we ever sense a quarrel coming, we should turn the other way. So, so here's some wisdom on when to avoid correcting someone, right? Now next, let's consider how to give wise correction. The first thing I want to encourage us in is first, let's correct one another directly. Correct one another directly. In other words, when we correct someone, they should know that we are correcting them. They should not walk away thinking, did he just correct me? No, they should, they should know it. That kind of a veiled correction is never wise, rarely ever effective, and often even unloving, actually. Very unloving. Uh, Proverbs 26 puts it this way, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. In other words, he means something often far more negative than he ever says, right? When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. This is the book of Proverbs plug for church membership. Uh, there is something wise and clarifying about life in the assembly. The truth is, when we veil our correction, or worse, when we whisper about someone else's faults with another person, which is just gossip, the result will never be good, God-honoring, or helpful. For example, uh, the week after we have a guest preacher, uh, please do not say to me, hey, Danny, we're so glad you are back in the pulpit this week. Uh, we, we really missed you, okay? Now, listen, in so many ways, I'm so encouraged by our church on a regular basis. I'm so grateful for that encouragement. But let's be honest, that's not really what you're saying, is it? 
Uh, Just tell me directly how you think that guest preacher fell short. Uh, Better yet, uh, if you know that brother, give him some godly feedback on his sermon. But, But if neither of those things is going to happen, probably best not to say it at all, right? This is true across the board. We can't just vaguely address the topic we're hoping to correct someone on with them in earshot, just hoping that they're going to connect the dots. It does, they won't. And it doesn't work that way. If anything, they may just be more hurt by that. No, we need to look them in the eyes in private, and we need to say, listen, I, I want to I talk with you about this specific thing. Do you, do you mind processing that with me? And then, if they do, very honestly and directly saying, listen, uh, what you said or you did here, uh, it really didn't sit well with me for these specific reasons. I wonder if this might be beneath the surface there, but, but just could you see why that would be, right? Let's correct one another directly. And next, let's correct one another gently, gently. Um, Now, you may be thinking, well, wait, but if we correct people too gently, don't you think they're not going to really pay attention? They're going to kind of ignore our correction. Shouldn't we correct people in a way that kind of commands them to listen and respond? This is an increasingly popular method. Uh, Many people have embraced it, but unfortunately, the answer is just no. Uh, That is a really bad idea. Uh, Proverbs 16 says it this way, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That is not by the fear of us, right? In fact, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So if there's one thing that our correction should be marked by, it is gentleness. And this is not just because gentleness is kind, although it is, and that matters too. It's also because it's, just, it's effective. <laughs> it actually works. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And, and if you're prone to thinking harsh and intense correction will somehow work better. Listen to this one, Proverbs 25, 15, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. It's effective. It's more powerful than you might think. If there is someone in our lives who we are convinced is in desperate need of correction, the wise way to go about that is to talk with them directly and to handle them gently. I love you, and and I know this is hard. It's always hard to hear this kind of thing. I'm sorry that it's hard, but but I think you should consider this or that, right? Then listen, hear through their first emotional response and say, I I know, I I get it. It's understandable even that you might feel that way, but I still think it's important for you to repent in this way or to apologize or whatever it is. Uh, Let's correct one another gently. And finally, number three, let's correct one another restoratively. Restoratively. 
We just have to be honest that there are always many bad motivations for correcting someone else. We can correct someone uh, to intimidate them or to belittle them. We can correct someone to sort of settle the score. We can correct them for selfish reasons to sort of fix a situation that is impacting us. Or we can correct them with a genuine concern for their spiritual good or the good of others. This is what we need to aim for, correction that heals and restores, not just correction that calls out. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. Whoever is diligent seeks sorry, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. If we correct people with evil, self-centered motivations, evil will come as a result of that, not good. So anytime we are compelled to correct, it's wise to slow down and ask ourselves very purposefully, why am I doing this? What is my goal, and is it a wise and worthy goal or not? One more here, Proverbs 11.30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. This is why we correct. We correct to capture one another's souls in a redemptive way, to go and, and get people, not to push them away or to insulate ourselves from their dysfunction. We correct to capture souls. Now, I want to briefly just pause here, and before we wrap up, I want to pivot and apply everything we've just talked about briefly to parenting. Uh, because so much of parenting fits into this category of correction. Uh, but especially today, as our culture has grown less confident in spiritual truths and more confident in things like modern medicine and science, we've also become very skeptical of clear moral instruction. Things like right and wrong, good and evil, wisdom and folly. Uh, in, in some cases, many of these spiritual categories have been either replaced or at very least overshadowed by more medical concepts like trauma or mental health or a long list of disorders, right? Now, I want to be really clear. Without a doubt, we are physical creatures and our physical health does contribute to our inner spiritual health. Uh, and there is plenty of practical insights to be gained even from many of these disciplines. So I, don't hear me saying or trying to dismiss them altogether, but we do have to be honest that these more therapeutic approaches to life and parenting can either ignore and even in some cases directly deny the legitimacy of things like sin and foolishness. And as a result... Uh, they can certainly tend towards, uh, uh, that is, away from something like direct correction to a more feeling-centric approach. Now, in some cases, that may be appropriate. Uh, it is easy for us to overcorrect our kids. Any parent should be able to understand that. Uh, and, it, and it's also obviously easy to correct them in sinful ways. So there is certainly a potential correction we need to hear there. But one of the best things we can do to grow as parents is to immerse ourselves in the Proverbs and to help our kids know and live by the wisdom we see in these pages. Proverbs 23, 24, and 5, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. 
If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, which means death or the ground. Now, listen, we could debate whether a proverb like this is actively calling us to spank our children or not, and that's often what we get embroiled in when we quote a passage like this. Frankly, I think there's probably some room for differences in the way we understand and apply that. I think it's important to leave some room uh, within reason. But clearly, more importantly, let's not get lost in the weeds of that, clearly, this is suggesting that parents have long worried that their discipline or correction would harm their kids, when the truth is, in fact, quite the opposite. Uh, by correcting our kids, we are saving their souls from death. What our kids need is not just our sensitivity and validation, as important as those things are, and they are. They need also to grow in wisdom. And this will require us to correct them. Unless you know something about parenting that I don't know, often we will need to correct our kids. Now, I'm still a pretty young dad, and I am learning in many, many ways. So I hope to have much more to say about Christ-like parenting in about five to ten years from now. Um, but in the meantime, I am confident and can say this with confidence. It's a simple suggestion. Teach your kids the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And to teach them this in order to help them, frankly, understand why it is that we correct them so regularly. It is not just to nitpick them or to control their lives. It's to help them instead conform their lives to the ways of God. And so let's give our kids even some age-appropriate definitions. Here, buddy, to, to be wise means to live in a way that God loves. And, and, and when we do this, usually, not always, but usually, it makes life work a lot better. And to be foolish is to live in ways that God hates. And, and when we do this, usually, as a general rule, it actually makes life a lot harder. But here's the thing. We have to tell them, here's the thing. For us, it often seems much better to do the foolish thing than the wise thing. This is part of the problem. This is why we need God to shape us and change us. Give your kids even some life scenarios, specific ones. For example, you tore a page out of your library book from school. Okay, Which one of these is wise? To tape it back and pretend nothing happened or to tell your teacher that this is what you've done and just tell her that you're sorry. Which one is wise? This is, this is so good for our kids to be thinking in these ways. Now, listen, it is clear biblical morality. It is. It, it is. Um, but it doesn't have to be moralistic, right? In patient, loving ways, we have to help our kids understand when they are being foolish. And then as they come to see and understand their foolishness for what it is, we have to be so quick to give them grace. Give them grace. You're right, actually. I, I, I agree. I, I think that, that was foolish. Um, and, and if you keep living in that way, I have to tell you, I think your life will be very sad, and I do not want that for you. But here's the good news. God doesn't just get upset with us when we do foolish things. He fixes it. This is why he sent us Jesus to die on the cross, to cover all of these foolish sins we commit. So listen, even when you do foolish, sinful things, God loves you and wants to help you be wise like Jesus. And that's what I want to do too for you in your life. Parents, let's show our kids that we are open to correction from our spouse, for instance, and from others. 
show them that. Let's wait for the right time to correct them, not when they're in the middle of a foolish tantrum and preferably not when we're particularly angry at them. Uh, Let's be gentle in the way we correct them, discerning what they can handle in that moment. Let's correct them restoratively in ways that heal and repair our relationship with them. Amen. Absolutely. But parents, we must correct our kids, and it is foolish to try and avoid it. We need to teach them no one is above either giving or receiving correction. This will serve them well over the course of their whole life. It may even be one of the most important life skills we teach them. This may be the point in the sermon when in light of all the wisdom we've just read, as we reflect on our lives, it's kind of hard to see past all the foolishness. Uh, Too often we run from correction like a deadly plague. We do not love others enough to correct them. We are not humble enough to receive their correction. And for that reason, it's tempting to just give up, just keep everyone at arm's length. But it is often through the loving correction of our brothers and sisters that God himself is able to correct and discipline us. And it is a tremendous kindness to us that he does this, as Ron read in our call to worship this morning. It's hard now, but it will produce fruit of righteousness. Thankfully, when we lack the wisdom to give or receive correction, we can strive after a different kind of wisdom which comes outside of us. Thankfully, even though he is the one human who truly is above being corrected in any way, Jesus humbled himself. He endured the ultimate, unjust correction even. He was brutally executed when he did not deserve it, even a little bit. And he did this, church, so that in him we can find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So let's confess our foolish fears of correcting and being corrected. Let's rely on Christ to deliver us from these fears. And let's ask Christ to live through us by faith so that we can honor God in the way we give and receive correction.